Don't miss this, okay? This is going to be sweet. But uh, without any further ado, I want to welcome up uh, my good friend, Aaron. Hi, everybody. I'm Aaron. I think I know a lot of you guys. If you don't know, um, I took over, or I was teaching the study with Alfredo uh, when we were going through the New Testament. So uh, being in the Old Testament now is, uh, is new for me, but Tyler's been doing an excellent job um, taking over the study and, and starting in the book of Genesis and leading us all the way through to now we're in the book of Leviticus. And uh, if this is your first time here uh, to the Upper Room Bible Study, the way we study the Bible is we study a chapter a day. Um, and the reason why we do that is we create in ourselves a discipline to, to be in God's word, um, to know what it is that he requires of us so we can know our God and we can uh, continue to, to grow in this relationship that we have established through Christ. And like I said, we're in uh, Leviticus. And last time we met, uh, Tyler shared with us on um, Nadab and Abihu uh, and the profane uh, offering that they offered before the Lord, and they got roasted. Um, we talked about that, and then the next chapter after that, uh, which would have been chapter 11, spoke of the, the animals that the Israelites were to, to be able to eat, the unclean and the clean animals, um, and how these were to be as a symbol of separation between them, the, the tribe of Israel, and also the pagan nations to, to separate them, to put a distinction between them. Um, and then we continue on in Leviticus, and we see these, these laws, these ceremonial laws, these laws for, uh, of, of, of after there's a child born, there's certain rituals and rites that, that the, uh, the Israelites were to go through. And then also you see leprosy and how they are to deal with that. And it really goes into detail for the priests in particular, how they're supposed to deal with these things. And if, as, you're, as you're reading through, and I, I pray that you guys are reading along, and as you're reading along, it may sound kind of boring or like, why, am, why do I need to read this? I'm not a priest. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know that I'm going to be able to even apply this to my daily life. Know this, that all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete thoroughly equipped for every good work. So all scripture, even the, the stuff that may not seem as, as interesting to you, it's not a, a story where you can follow along with, all these things um, point to Christ. All these things point to, to us and to, in, in, in to helping us in our walks with the Lord as, as we continue on in this process of sanctification. But as we continue to go through, you see the, um, the, the laws of Christ of, of cleanliness and how people are to be clean after bodily discharges in, in chapter 15 and chapter 16 was a big chapter yesterday um, I hope you guys all read that if not go back and read that the day of atonement this is this is for Israel a time where, where they were atoned for where they allowed for their sins to to be uh, taken away the high priest would go through this, this systematic ritual where he would have to cleanse himself. He had to make an offering for himself. He'd offer uh, to clean out the, the temple or to make offerings for the temple. And then he would make an offering for the people of Israel so that they would have fellowship with God, so that their fellowship would not be broken. And as we started the book of Leviticus, you see all these, these sacrifices and all these things that the Israelites had to do continually. So why would they need a day of atonement? Because even as holy as you may try to be, as holy as the people of Israel may have tried to be by offering up these sacrifices, there was still sin, even sin that they unintentionally did. There was still sin in their lives, and it need to be atoned for. There need to be a sacrifice for their sin. 
And Leviticus, as Tyler has mentioned before, Leviticus is a book that points to, to holiness. Also, we see sin and, and sacrifice and atonement and also worship. All these things are, are themes that we see through the book of Leviticus. And tonight, we come to, to a chapter where people are offering up sacrifices. But God is, is clear in his instruction, just as he has been all throughout the book of Leviticus, how detailed he's been with everything that he's done, that there is a certain way you are to worship God. There's a certain way to offer up your sacrifices. You're not to go about these things flippantly. But you're to go about them the way the Lord prescribes you to, to go about them. And the same principles can be applied to our lives. We don't worship God. We don't come to God the way we desire to come to God. We come to God the way he desires for us to come to him. That's why it's important for us to, to know God's word. So that we would know how to approach him. That we would know how to live our lives. And that's what we're going to be looking at tonight is, is how to approach God. And I've even kind of titled this, this, this study um, God's way, the only way. It's simple, just that. The only way is God's way. Your way is wrong, my way is wrong, God's way is right. But before we dive into to the scriptures tonight, would you guys please join me as we ask the Lord to bless our time. Father, Lord, I come to you and I, I ask, Lord, that, that you would empty me of myself. Lord, that you would speak through me. Lord, that you would minister to your people. This is your word. Lord, you've given it to us for instruction. Lord, you have guided us. You've you've set us on a path, and you can continue to guide us through your word and with your word. So I pray tonight that that many would be guided toward you. Lord, I pray that that we would understand your word. God, that you would just just put your words on my lips. And would your people have the hearts to receive? So, Lord, I just thank you for this time. I ask that you would be blessed, that you would be glorified here. We thank you, Lord. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Like I said, we're going to be in Leviticus chapter 17. This is a short chapter. It's only 16 verses. Um, so bear with me. I'm going to read through the first section. And if you guys have Bible similar to my Bible, it's broken up into two sections for this chapter. Uh, so we'll read from verse 1 all the way into verse, uh, verse 9. Starting in verse 1, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, to his sons, and to all the children of Israel, and say to them, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded, saying, Whatever man of the house of Israel kills an ox or lamb or goat in the camp, or who kills it outside the camp and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer up to offer an offering to the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord, the guilt of bloodshed shall be imputed to that man. He has shed blood, and that man shall be cut off from among his people. To the end that the children of Israel may bring their sacrifices, which they offer in open fields, that they may bring them to the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting to the priests, and offer them as a peace offering to the Lord. And the priests shall sprinkle the blood on the altar, and the Lord... Uh, shall sprinkle the blood on the altar of the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting and burn the fat for a sweet aroma to the Lord. 
They shall no longer offer their sacrifices to demons, after whom they have played the harlot. This shall be a statute forever for them throughout their generations. Also you shall say to them, Whatever man of the house of Israel, or of the strangers who dwell among you, who offers burnt offering or sacrifice, and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, to offer it to the Lord, that man shall be cut off from among his people. So we see two things going on here, or two sacrifices going on in this, this section here. Now, you got to understand, the people of Israel, they were camped out at the, the wilderness of Sinai. They're camped out at the mountain. Remember, they got the, the Ten Commandments. They haven't entered into the Promised Land yet. And prior to, to them entering in the Promised Land, they hadn't um, had set rules and regulations as to how they were to offer to the Lord. Once he set up his Levitical system, once he set up all these, these things that we read in the book of Leviticus, the people of Israel to, uh, were to abide by these things. Prior to that, I mean, we see the stories of the patriarchs, how they offered up sacrifices. You know, they built altars and they offered up sacrifices. But once the tabernacle was established, once this Levitical system was established, the Lord said that the Israelites were to keep to these things. And that's what the Lord is, is, is speaking of here, that the sacrifices that they are to offer are to be in accordance with, with how he designed them to be. You know, starting in verse 1, he says, And the Lord spoke to Moses. And this is kind of just a, a, an aside, but... Sometimes we can read this, this, that short little sentence, and the Lord spoke to Moses, and just glance over it. But if, I don't know, I, just, I was looking at that, and it's like, that really is amazing, like, that the Lord spoke to a man, that the Almighty God, the one who created the heavens and the earth, the one who, who gave life to man, he's perfect, he's all-powerful, that he spoke to a man, he spoke to Moses, that's not just something that's so far off, something that we just read of in here in this book, that God spoke to a man a long time ago. But God speaks to people now. He speaks to people today. I mean, how many of you can testify that the Lord has spoke to you? God speaks to his people. It's not something weird or, or super spiritual where the Lord comes to you in an audible voice. But as you spend time with God, he will speak to you. You have a relationship. We have a relationship through Christ with the Lord, and he will speak to you. And this is why we, we established this Bible study to, to guide you guys through the scriptures, chapter by chapter, day by day, that you would have time in your word, that you would have time with the Lord, that you would allow him to speak to you. It's not that God just spoke to Moses or spoke to, to Abraham or to Isaac, but God will speak to you as you dedicate yourself to knowing him and to knowing his word. But it says in verse 1 that the Lord spoke to Moses... In verse 2 says, he told him, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons and to all the children of Israel and say to them, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Whatever man of the house of Israel kills an ox or lamb or goat in the camp, and who kills it outside the camp and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer it as a burnt sacrifice or, born, or to offer it up an offering to the Lord before the tabernacle, the guilt of bloodshed shall be imputed to that man. Now notice that the, Moses says that this is a commandment from the Lord. Oftentimes when we think of the commandments, we think of just, you know, the Ten Commandments, you know, Exodus, the, the, the first Ten Commandments that, that the Lord has given. You know, the, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Uh, you should have no, no graven images. You should not take the Lord's name in vain. You should honor the Sabbath day. You should honor your mother and father. You should not murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. And don't covet. 
Those are the Ten Commandments. I'm trying to go off the top of my head. I'm sorry. But the Ten Commandments, that's often what we think of. But the Old Testament, or at least the Torah, the first five books is known to consist of more than 613 commandments. The Lord has commanded his people to do a lot of things, to, to, to follow him and to obey him. And this is just one of the things that the Lord commands them. He commands them that whatever man of the house of Israel, and I like that the Lord put that in there, whatever man, the Lord is no respecter of persons. Whoever, whether you're rich, poor, you have to obey the Lord same as the next man. You have the same obligation as the next man. God is no respecter of persons, but whatever person or whatever man of the house of Israel that kills an ox, lamb, or goat. And notice these three things. Are these, I mean, if you've been reading along through the book of Leviticus with us, these three animals should, should sound familiar. These are the animals that would be offered up in sacrifice. These, these animals were ones that would have been offered up in sacrifice. And this is why the Lord is putting this, this commandment in place. Because sacrifice is something that is to be done specifically the way the Lord designed it to be. You're not to offer up sacrifice the way you feel you should offer up a sacrifice, but the way that the Lord designed it. He says, whoever kills an ox or a lamb or a goat in the camp or kills it outside the camp and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer it to the Lord, guilt of bloodshed shall be upon him and he, because he has shed blood, and that man shall be cut off from his people. There is a serious consequence from not obeying the commandments of the Lord. Here it says that this man would be cut off from his people. Now, I was looking this up, and different commentators may take this to different extremes, that this could mean that this person would be put to death, or that their, their line would be extinguished, that they would be excommunicated from the congregation of Israel. Either way, they were no longer an inheritor of the promises of God because of their disobedience. Because of their disobedience, they didn't want to obey the Lord in offering up their sacrifice or offering up their offering. And it continues and says in verse 5, To the end that the children of Israel may bring their sacrifices which they offer in the open field and that they may bring them to the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting to the priests and offer them as a peace offering. These offerings, God commands them to offer them up as peace offerings. Now, if you remember, early in, in the first couple of chapters, there was five different categories of offerings that were, that were offered. There was the, the burnt offering, where you would consume the whole offering. There was the grain offering. There was the peace offering or the fellowship offering, which speaks of here. There's also the sin offering and the, the guilt offering. These offerings were the different categories. And here, the Lord is saying that this offering, whether you kill a, a, a bull or, or, an, or an ox or a lamb or a goat, when you kill these things, you're to offer them up to the Lord as a, a peace offering or a fellowship offering. And one of the things that's cool about this offering, and, and I like in particular because I'm, I'm a barbecue man, is this is one of the offerings that you're able to share in with the Lord. You're able to have fellowship you would offer this up to the Lord. The priest would take the fat, and he would burn the fat, and then he would take for himself a piece, the portion, as his wave offering. And the, the, the offerer would also partake of the meal. And it would establish a sense of, of communion with the Lord, that you would have fellowship with God through your sacrifice. If you were to offer this offering, if these Israelites were to just offer it out in the open field, they would not establish that fellowship with the Lord. They would be missing out. God does everything for a reason. And the reason why he set this up and why he commands this is because he wants to have fellowship with his people. 
God desires fellowship with his people. He's not just some God, some far off, some cosmic killjoy who has nothing to do with your life. God is is personal God. He wants to have fellowship with his people. This is why he commands them to to bring it as a peace offering. And it says in verse 6, that the priest shall sprinkle the blood on the altar of the Lord and on the at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and, the, and burn the fat for a sweet aroma to the Lord. For a sweet aroma to the Lord. When I think of this, you, you just, just imagine the Lord enjoying the, the aroma or the offering of the, of the giver. And when we look to sacrifices, we look at the sacrifices here in Leviticus all together, they all point to one. They point to Christ. All the offerings point to Christ. We can have fellowship with God. Why? Because of Christ and what he has done. So when we look at this text, it's not just something for the Israelites long ago. We also look at the the offering that Christ made for us. The sacrifice that he offered up for us so that we can have fellowship with God, so that we can be drawn close to God, so that we can have communion with God. You know, in Ephesians 5, 2, it speaks of this he says, and walk in love as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet aroma. A sweet aroma. Christ is that for us. He is our offering. He is our sacrifice. And it's by him and through him that we can have fellowship with God. It's great news. We don't have to, to go to an altar. We don't have to pull a, a bull or a goat or a lamb and, and chop them up and put them on a barbecue in order to have fellowship with God. We simply need to come to Christ. It seems almost too easy. I guess all I have to do is come to Christ. God loves his creation. He loves his people so much that he made it accessible. He made you and I, he made a way for you and I to be accessible to him so we can have access in him access to him through christ it's 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 something that i I don't think we really understand because we're, we're so used to being drenched in with this whole idea of having fellowship with god that god loves us but the israelites they didn't have that same that indwelling of the spirit as we do but god by christ and through christ has given us this free gift don't take it for granted don't take it for granted at all. When we offer up our, our, our offerings, and even today we don't see Christians going to church and, and bringing bulls or bringing goats to offer them up. What is the, the sacrifice that we offer, though? What is the, the offering that we have to give to the Lord? Romans 12, verse 1 tells us, Paul beseeches us to offer up our, our, ourselves as living sacrifices, offer up our lives as living sacrifices, that we would live in accordance with God's will, that we would live and that we would abide by his laws, by his commandments, that we would do it his way. There's only one right way, and that's God's way, not our way. We are to seek to live by God's standards, by God's rules, and offer our our whole lives up as a sacrifice to God that we would have fellowship with him through Christ. Verse 7, as we continue, it says, They shall no more offer their sacrifices to demons after whom they have played the harlot. This shall be a statute forever for them through their generations. 
Also, you shall say to them, whatever man of the house of Israel or the stranger who dwells among you, who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer it to the Lord, that man shall be cut off from among his people. It's real Why did the Lord put this into place? Because there was people that were still offering up sacrifices that were not holy sacrifice. They were not bringing them to the, the tabernacle of the Lord. They were offering them offering up in open fields. They were offering, offering them up in a way that was not what God desired, what God commanded. They were offering them up and they were offering up in a way that was profane. They were not offering up to God. So if they're not offering up to God, who are they offering up to? Offering them up to demons, as the text says here in verse 7. They shall no more offer their sacrifices to demons, whom they have played the harlot. That's, a, that's a, an intense word. The Lord says that they're playing the harlot. They're playing the prostitute. What's the chief characteristic of a prostitute? She's unfaithful. Unfaithful. The Lord is saying that these people are being unfaithful. His people are being unfaithful because they are not obeying his commandments. They are not offering up their sacrifice to him. They're offering up to to other things, to idols. We need to be be aware of this, that we ourselves would not offer ourselves, would not offer our lives up to anything other than God. That we would not play the harlot, that we would not be unfaithful to God. But by his grace, Christ has, has paid the penalty for our transgressions, for our unfaithfulness. So many times we fall short. We continue to fall. But the Lord is there to lift us up whenever we fall. He is our help. He is our, our stronghold. Christ is the one who, who sanctifies us. When God looks at us, he doesn't look at our ourselves he looks at Christ we're acceptable in God's eyes because of Christ anything and everything that we need to do to have fellowship or to be seen right in God's eyes Christ has already done so whether you have even recognized in your own life that you have been unfaithful at times that you have fallen short know this that that God is not looking at you he's looking at Christ So continue to live your life in a way that would bring glory to him. Not that you would seek to try to earn his favor. That you would try to do more and more and more to be seen right in the eyes of God. But that you would seek to to live faithfully. That you would walk with God. That you would live your life as as a holy sacrifice. An acceptable sacrifice to God. Because of what Christ has already done for you. He's demonstrated his love for you, for me. That even, even when you were the worst, when you were the most wicked that you could ever imagine, when you were in the, the depths of your deepest, darkest sin, God loved you. He loved you. He died on the cross for you. He bore the, the nails in his hands and his feet because he loves you. And he has started a work in your life. And he will complete it. Offer up your whole life. No longer play the harlot. No longer be unfaithful to God. Today is the day to get right with God. Today is the day to make a stand and to live a life that is acceptable, that is well-pleasing, according to his standards. 
God, God's way is the only way. God's way is the right way. Let's continue back in, in Leviticus 17. He says that this shall be a statue to them forever throughout their generations. In verse 8, he says, Also you shall say to them, Whatever man of the house of Israel or of the stranger who dwell among you who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice. Let's stop there real quick. A burnt offering. Burnt offering. Now this is a little bit different from the, the peace offering. The burnt offering was to be wholly offered up unto the Lord. That all of it was to be burned up. And this was to signify atonement. So what Moses is commanding the people here is if, if you seek to make atonement, if you seek to be right with God, this is the way you're to do it. To bring it to the house of God. Don't, don't try to do it your own way because your own way is wrong. If you're not offering it up to God, you're, you're offering it up to demons. If you want to be made right with God, you want your sin to be atoned for. And sometimes we throw out that word atonement. What, what is atonement? It's to, to be made right with God. I mean, if you even break up the word into three smaller words, at, one, mint. It's to be at one with God, to be at peace with God. If you seek to have your sin atoned for, if the people of Israel wanted to be atoned for, they had to offer up their offering to the Lord in the prescribed manner, not in the way that they thought was, was cool or thought was okay, or even in the way that they may have offered it up in times past. But they would offer up the way the Lord commanded. But notice, just real quick, in verse 8, it says that, say to them, whatever man of the house of Israel or of the strangers who dwell among you. Notice that the Lord put even in an inclusion for, for the strangers that were there that, that seek to be right with God. Whether it be a person of, of the house of Israel or a stranger that sojourned among them, if they wanted to be right with God, they had to go the prescribed way. They have to offer up or they had to make atonement for their sin. They had to bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and offer it to the Lord. And the reason why, again, that the Lord is, is, is putting this in the scriptures or putting this into law, into action, is because he wanted to make sure that they knew what was right, that they knew what was his way. Because imagine if he didn't. It would be kind of ambiguous to, as to what they could do. Remember, these people that just came out of Egypt, they've they seen all these other pagan worship. They've seen all these other pagan nations and how they worship. They were offering up sacrifices and, and doing all kinds of crazy things. The Lord wanted to establish his people as his own and to set them apart from the nations. So he gave them a set of rules and, and regulations, Levitical laws, that they would abide by, so that they would be seen as his people, that they would have fellowship with him. But he says that when you offer this offering, you are to bring it to the tabernacle of meeting and offer it before the Lord. And if you don't, that man again will be cut off from among his people. Why is it such a, 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 strict, a strict consequence for not obeying God, for not following what he has, has called, it, called you to do? Because sin... Or, or the atonement for sin, there is only one way to have that done, and that's God's way. Otherwise, the sin is not atoned for. Because who can forgive except for God alone? It's God alone who forgives. It's God alone who, who allows for atonement to be made. And if you go in any other manner aside from God's way, it's not atoned for. 
And we take this even further into the, the New Testament. For us today, for Christians, how is our sin atoned for? Is it by doing a certain amount of works or following a certain set of, of rules or reading your Bible every day or attending church on Sunday or being a part of the children's ministry, serving, discipling? Are these the ways that we can have our sin atoned for? No. There is one way. It's God's way. It's through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that your sin has been atoned for. No other way. It's God's way. That's the only way. He made a way through his son, Christ. He has made atonement for us through him. And for those who reject that, for those who reject that way, they are cut off. Just like the people of Israel here. If you reject the the forgiveness of God, if you reject the, the free gift of salvation, you by default cut yourself off from the forgiveness of God. But yet he still extends that offer. He died on the cross for whosoever would believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He made a way for us to have our sin atoned for. And to go any other way is a lie. It's, it's false. And we live in a society where I know it's cool to be, you know, okay, well, if that's what you want to believe, then that's cool with you. If that's what you want to believe, and if that's all roads lead to God. In a sense, I guess I can agree all roads do lead to God, to the judgment of God. But there's only one way into heaven. And that is through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, through the person and work of Christ and him alone. There is no other way. God's way is the only way. Let's continue into to verse 10. And we'll read through the end of the chapter. Verse 10 says, And whatever man of the house of Israel or of the strangers who dwell among you, who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood, and I will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. It is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. And therefore, I said to the children of Israel, No one among you shall eat blood, nor shall any stranger who dwells among you eat blood. Whatever... Man or the children of Israel or the strangers who dwell among you, who hunts and catches any animal or bird or maybe or any animal or bird that may be eaten, he shall pour out his blood and cover it with dust, for it is the life of the flesh, it sustains its life. Therefore I said to the children of Israel, You shall not eat of the blood of the flesh, for the life of all flesh is in its blood. Whoever eats of it shall be cut off. And every person who eats what died naturally or what was torn by beasts, whether he is a native of your own country or a stranger, he shall both wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Then he shall be clean. But if he does not wash, but if he does not wash them or bathe his body, then he, will be, then he will bear his guilt. So here we see the prohibition of, of the eating of blood. The people of Israel, even the ones that sojourned among them, were not to eat blood. And this isn't the first time that we've seen this. I mean, if you've, you can go back as far as Genesis and see that we're not to, to eat or partake of blood. But it says in verse 10 that whatever man, again, whether you're rich, poor, short, tall, blonde, curly hair, whatever, 
any person of the house of Israel is to follow the statutes of God. There is one standard. It's God's way, and that's the only way. Whatever man of the house of Israel, whether stranger who dwells among you, who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood, and I shall cut him off from among his people. Why? Well, it tells us right there in verse 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. It's the blood. It's the blood that makes atonement. Why does God put another, such a strict consequence for, for a person eating blood? Because the blood was, was to be reverenced. The blood was what was used to make atonement. He wants to just to, to partake of the blood flippantly or act as if it wasn't something that the Lord had given. He says that he has given this to make atonement for your souls. And it's the blood that makes atonement. Verse 12 says, Therefore I said to the children of Israel, No one among you shall eat, any, or no one among you shall eat blood, nor shall any stranger who dwells among you eat blood. No one, no one was to eat blood. They were to have a reverence for the blood. It is the blood. It is the blood that makes atonement. And we know this. Because our sins, our sins would never have been atoned for had there been no shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. The life is in the blood. See, if the sinner sins, his life is required of him. We know this. Romans tells us the wages of sin is what? The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. So there had to be a life offered up in order for that to, to be atoned for, for that to be, to be squashed. You have to, to offer up blood. The life that is in the blood makes atonement, making the sinner right, that he can keep his life. For us, our sin had to be atoned for. Aside from our sin being atoned for, we would be headed to hell. There is nothing that we can do no amount of works, no amount of sacrifices, nothing that we can do that would ever pay for the wages of sin. Christ paid it all. He took it all at the cross. He paid for our sin. He that knew no sin became sin for us, that we, what may be the righteousness of God, that we can have fellowship with God. I just, I love how this text just continues to point back to Christ. They were to have reverence for the blood because of what the blood represented. It represented life. It represented the blood that was to come. The blood of Christ that would cover our sin. Verse 13 says, Whatever man of the children of Israel or stranger who dwells among you, who hunts or catches any animal or bird, that may be eaten, he shall pour its blood out and cover it with dust. I love how, how, just how perfect, like, the Lord sets things out in Scripture. Like, he sets this out. He says that no one can eat any blood. Don't, don't eat blood or else you're going to be cut off. And then you always have somebody in the bunch that's going to ask a question. You got the Philip. It's like, well, what if I went hunting and I, I happened to shoot something and I ate a little bit of blood? Like, the Lord already, he... He already knows that. He gives an answer. He gives a solution. He says, if you go hunting, 
and you kill something that, that may be eaten, you shall pour out the blood. He gives specific detail as to how you're to go about everyday life, whether it's hunting or whatever it is that you're doing. And God does that for more than just, just hunting. He does that for our, our daily activities, our interactions with, with others that we come into contact with on a daily basis. God has given us everything we need to know in Scripture as to how we're to live our lives. We just simply have to make an effort to discipline ourselves to know God, to know his word, to know what it is that he requires of us so that we can fulfill these requirements, that we would live lives that would glorify him, that we would live lives that would fall in line with his way because it's the only way. It's the right way. But the Lord even puts in a... A little thing, therefore, for those who, who go hunting and they, they, ha- they catch a bird that may be eaten, he says, pour out the blood and cover it with dust, for it is the life of all flesh. Its blood sustains its life. Therefore, in verse 14, I said to the children of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any flesh, for the life of all flesh is in the blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. Again, we see just the, the severity of, of the consequence for disobeying God. Notice that, that, that God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that will he also reap. There is a consequence for sin. There is a consequence for sin. There is a consequence for sin. And when we realize that that, that consequence, whether it may be a temporal consequence or, or something that happens later on in life, the ultimate consequence has been paid for. That, that, that sin that would separate you from God, that sin that would separate the camp of Israel from the presence of the Lord, they had a way to make atonement for. And we have the atonement of Christ. We have the blood of Christ upon us. So rather than to go down the road of transgressions and, and to go against God or to disobey Him, see the great gift that you have. See the... the, the just the, the love that he demonstrated towards you. Use that as the, your deterrent away from sin. Really really get to, to know Christ, to, to experience what it is that he has done for you. And sin will grow strangely dim, as the, the hymn says. The more and more we see Christ, the less and less the world is a, appealing to us. But where is our focus at? Our focus needs to be on the Lord. Verse 15. It says, And every person who eats what died naturally or what was torn by beasts, whether he is a native of your own country or he is a stranger, he shall both wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening, and then he shall be clean. But if he does not wash them or bathe his body, then he shall bear his guilt. Again, the Lord, he covers all bases. We got the person, well, what if I went hunting? Or, well, what if I just happened to be strolling through, you know, the open field and I see, you know, a little a lamb that was torn up by some beasts. That's some good lamb on there. Some, some lamb chops we can barbecue. Can I eat that? The Lord says, if you eat this, you'll be unclean. It's not that you, you sin against the Lord. I mean, remember, they're in the desert. They're in the wilderness. So it's not like they can just go to the Stater Brothers and pick up some lamb chops. Like, they're they eating manna. Like, they were, they were provided for, for by the Lord. 
the Lord gives an, uh, um, an allowance here that if a person eats anything that died naturally or that's torn by beasts, whether he's a native of your own country or a stranger, he shall just wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. See, the Lord allows for the individual to have a way to be clean, simply to wash his clothes, to wash his clothes and bathe in water, and then he will be unclean. But if he rejects this, again, he bears his own guilt. God gives a way out. God offers forgiveness. But if you reject that, the offer is void for you. God has, has made a way for us. He's made a way for his people to have fellowship with him, to have a, a sense of communion with him, to be in constant, in constant communication with him. And that is through the person and work of Jesus Christ. All these things that we read of here in Leviticus are just a shadow of what was to come. A better covenant. The covenant that was made in the blood of Jesus Christ. And we read about it all through Hebrews. The covenant of Christ. When he died on that cross, he made atonement. He made access. He made it available to you. The free gift of salvation. The gift of fellowship with God. That you no longer have to be separated from God by your sin. Not only that, you no longer have to play the harlot. You no longer have to have one foot in and one foot out. You no longer have to dabble or battle with sin, struggle, and not have a way to find victory. Christ has conquered sin. He has conquered death. He has conquered temptation. He is everything that you need. He is God's way. He said it himself, John 14, 6, I am the way. The truth and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. It's God's way. He's the only way. He's Christ. You seek to receive him? If you receive him, you have the gift of eternal life. You have the atonement for your soul. And then you should live in a way that offers up a sacrifice that falls in line with the way God described it to be. Not the way that you feel is comfortable for your lifestyle, what feels good to you, but that you would live your life in accordance with his will, with his word, that you would offer up your sacrifice, your living sacrifice, you would offer up your whole life to him as an acceptable sacrifice. Seeing the the, the penalty of your sin nailed to the cross, Knowing that Christ took, took upon sin and death for you because he loved you. So that you can be able to be free from sin. You'd be able to be free from that bondage. That you would live your life to glorify him. That's what we're here for. To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So while you're here on this earth, continue to keep the cross at the forefront of your mind, seeing the great sacrifice that was paid for you, that was offered up for you, and in turn that you would offer up your sacrifice, God's way, the only way. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for, for your word, for your direction, for your guidance in our lives at all times. 
Lord, we, we fall short. We mess up. We are not perfect. We are not sinless. But we thank you, Lord. We praise you that you have sent your son to die for our sin so that we would have the power over sin and death to be free from temptation, to be free from the bondage that we used to know. Lord, we thank you for these things. So no longer do we have to to seek and strive after perfection, but that we would live lives to where we would sin less and less in order that we would glorify you more and more. Lord, help us to obey your statutes. Help us to obey your commands. Thank you, Lord, for for the great gift that you have given us. Lord, if there's any in here who who have been playing the, the harlot, who've been unfaithful, Lord, I pray that you would restore them even now. Lord, that you would remove any feeling of guilt or condemnation. But Lord, that they would, that they would feel the conviction and that would produce inside of them a change of right living, of holy living, of acceptable living in your sight. So Lord, we thank you. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.